Welcome to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by Inside Texas. Today we are going inside the program talking about some of the latest insider details as Texas gets back on the practice field and hosts a number of very important visitors both from the portal and the recruiting ranks. I'm Joe Cook. I've got Eric Nalene alongside me and Eric ready to talk about some of the one of the biggest weekends for Texas football off the field this entire season. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a great time. They hit they went back to the practice field. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, they're hosting a bunch of recruits, portals, high schools. Got some guys in that they're trying to flip. Just an exciting time with Texas. These coaches are extremely busy, but you know that'll keep they, they're earning their money this weekend for sure. Absolutely, December seems like the toughest time to be a college football coach, and it's because we have so many things to talk about that they are responsible for, uh, and that includes the the transfer portal. Uh, this week, the big news uh, was that Malik Murphy, uh, the Texas Longhorns backup quarterback, entered the transfer portal. Uh, and he also told ESPN's Pete Thamel that he would not be able to stick with the team throughout bowl practices. Uh, we believed it was an option that he had, uh, that he could have, uh, he would have been welcome to remain with the team and continue to go as a backup quarterback. But uh, that's just not really something that's feasible during the current moment. If you're Malik Murphy, you're trying to strike while the iron's hot. And if you're Steve Sarkeesian, you can't really have your your backup quarterback, you know, be on a visit to school X while trying to figure out how to attack the Washington secondary at the same time. It's just a tough situation. And uh, while Malik did basically did everything that was asked for him, the calendar found another victim this time. And it's Malik Murphy. Yeah, he was hugely conf conflicted about this. You know, obviously, he's done a lot uh, to improve over his time at Texas. He's a big part of the team, led him to two victories ultimate team player. A lot of people that we've talked to felt he would find a way to stay throughout the playoffs. But as you said, the timing just isn't right. He has to do what's best for him. It's a very competitive market for quarterbacks right now as far as finding a home. And he has to be free and clear and able to visit and strike up relationships, earn trust. He's got It's speed dating right now for him. He's got to figure out the best fit, best offense, uh, best depth chart. There's a lot of considerations for him. It's very unfortunate because he was a big part of the, the team, a very big part of the locker room. Uh, the timing just didn't work out. But no matter what happens for Texas, the rest of the, the part, Malik Murphy was a, a 2023 Texas Longhorn. I think whenever Steve Sarkeesian, you can tell a lot by his answers and how long they are. If he gives you a one-sentence answer, you, that's all you're getting. And he's probably telling yeah. you the truth or he's not telling you something that he doesn't want the public to know. But when he goes on a five-minute answer like he did earlier in the season, I think it was either – it may have been after the BYU game or after the Kansas State game, one of his two starts – I think that really spoke volumes to how much he was respected by the team. And, you know, a lot of times you can see portal situations where it's like, all right, go on, get on out the door. But I think, like you mentioned, this is someone who was very near and dear to, to the Texas team. And obviously, as you, as you saw from his social media announcement, Texas was near and dear to him. And he was one of the first recruits yeah. to jump on with Steve Sarkeesian after he took the Texas job from Alabama. Yeah, Sark's first quarterback commit's always going to be at, at Texas. Is always going to be Malik Malik Murphy. You know, they were going after Ewers at the time. Arch Manning was still a, a little bit down the road, but but definitely a, a consideration, even though he was in the 2024 class. Malik Murphy jumped in. He believed in Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian believed in him. And it's no surprise that they, they struck up a good bond. And I, I know I've always heard really, really strong anecdotal evidence of, of the Murphys, the whole family really respecting Sarkeesian. And I, I think that respect flowed both ways for sure. Real quickly, do you think there could have been a path to where he stayed until the spring and then entered in that portal, or is it just with the way the quarterback market looks right now, that just wasn't an option? 
No, I think with the expectation that Quinn Ewers is coming back, that you know it's time for him to move on and do what's best for him. It, it makes it makes total sense for him. I, I get it entirely. Um, you know, I just think he's following his own incentives, and, and that right now it's got to go. You know, because Quinn is you know with all expectations are he's going to return. Something we touched on on Inside Texas today is that hey, Arch Manning's now the backup quarterback. Uh, it go, if something were to happen to Quinn Ewers, and we don't want that to happen, of course, but Arch Manning would be the guy there now that that Malik Murphy is uh, now in the transfer portal. We saw a little bit of Arch. I know we've talked a lot about him over the past two years, but if if Arch has to see game time, what should Texas fans maybe expect that he he might do a little bit differently than the other two quarterbacks, Murphy and Ewers? Uh, you know, he's going to hit his checkdowns pretty quickly, at least more uh, more so than, than uh, Murphy, I feel, unless, you know, Murphy did – uh, complete a number of short passes in his first outing, but those were more on called plays. I think Archie's going to start his eyes downfield first, uh, but then get to his check down quicker. He's also going to take out and escape from the pocket. He'll use his legs. He's not afraid to do that. He's a good athlete, find the sideline pretty quick. Um, I think his decision-making is going to be going to surprise some people uh, for how for how young he is. He's, he's got a pretty quick processor and a, and a natural field back there. I think Texas will be okay, you know, all, it, all things considered relative to his youth. Uh, obviously, you don't want anything to, hurt, to happen to him, but that's uh, to yours, but uh, Arch isn't your typical freshman. Never has been, and, and hopefully we don't have to see that, but if it comes to, to fruition, then I think we'll see cases where you're right. He's not your typical freshman. Before we talk about some of the players who will be on the practice field ahead of the Longhorns preparations for the Sugar Bowl, we got to talk about the Cooper Laird Insurance Agency. Brent Weiprecht, 24 years of experience insuring contractors in the state of Texas, whether you're a plumber, a roofer, an electrician, He's from anywhere from Amarillo to Brownsville, El Paso to Beaumont. Call Brent at 979-877-5330. Again, that's the Cooper Laird Insurance Agency, 979-877-5330. 979-I know where that part of the state yeah, is. I should have gone I should have gone over that one with you because Brent Weeprecht is one of my best friends. Uh now he he wasn't my best man at my wedding, so he, he's not perfect. He does have some shortcomings. Uh, but he is—he was on the podium for my best friends. He's actually at the state championship games right now, getting ready to watch our Belleville Brahmas take on Gilmer. Uh, Brent's a good Longhorn, lived in Moorhill for a year or two, and then then right there off campus. Uh, he's a good Longhorn, represents the school well, and he's a, he's a very good businessman, very diligent. He'll get back to you. One more time, 979-877-5330. But now it's time to talk a little bit about the preparation for the Sugar Bowl. Texas will be heading to New Orleans on the 27th. They'll have a couple practices there. The bulk of their practices will be in Austin. And, and Eric, we're recording today, Friday the 15th, and uh, this is when the, 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 the practices really get going for Texas as they start up uh, their semifinal prep. Yeah, they started uh, – I think their first practice is over, started at 9, should be over by now. It's going to be uh, 13 practices. You get 15, but they're not going to use them all, and it's – Sark is definitely using this block to to teach and uh, work on schemes uh, more so than physicality. You know, I think he said, what was it, the Tech game where they didn't even put on pads once that entire week. Uh, Sark no, uh, noted that he trusts his team. Well, he's going to continue to trust his team, that they're going to show up and tackle well. Uh, focus right now is getting healthy uh, and teaching them the schemes. They're going to put in a lot, of, a lot of new stuff, obviously, with uh, with Washington coming uh, coming to the uh, to the Sugar Bowl. So. It's going to be interesting to hear about practice reports. Like, um, you know, I know fans are going to be excited about it. We're going to do our best to cover them as extensively as possible. Yeah, over at Inside Texas, we you wrote and Justin Wells wrote in the humidor about that structure. And I always like that tidbit about the Texas Tech practices because 
that means Steve Sarkeesian trusted his team enough to you know not have to hit during that short week. Right. Well, that means that Texas beat up Texas Tech pretty good on both sides of the ball during that game, and you couldn't tell that they didn't hit in pads the week prior. Uh, pretty impressive by Texas there. But you you mentioned scheme and development. And I think that's really important for a lot of younger players who are going to be stepping up and stepping into an SEC schedule next year um, and, and maybe even called into action in the Sugar Bowl. What are some of the the players who, who you wrote about, I think, in recent weeks for some of your other articles that could really uh, stand to benefit from some of these developmental practices that are almost like a, a second you know, beginning of training camp where it's yeah. just a focus on yourself instead of doing anything husky, husky specific? You know, the, the player that probably comes to the mind first is Derek Williams. Obviously, Washington's coming with a serious passing attack, one of the best passing attacks in the country. Uh, Derek can be expected to start next year. They're going to rotate safeties next year uh, like they did this season, but there's going to be a lot of new bodies coming in. Derek's got a chance to assert himself. I think a big uh, I think a big December is going to really springboard him into next season. He's going to miss the first half uh, against the Huskies, but he's going to play a lot in the second half. Texas really needs him to have a very, very productive uh, December practice block. A lot of trust in him already. Um, but, you know, he's he's got some developing still ahead of him. He's got all the skill in the world. He just needs to put it all together. And I think this uh, these next few weeks, these next 13 practices will be big for him. How intense do you anticipate these practices being? Because some of the things you you talked about include – you know, a number of different players, Ryan Watts, Xavier Worthy, C.J. Baxter, a number of guys who've been going through the bumps and bruises of the season. You yeah. want to get your guys ready after giving them a break, especially with the, in the highest stakes football that the sport has. But you also want them to you know, be able to go. So what do you expect these practices to look like as they try to make that balance? Yeah, you know, even though they're not physical, they're going to be fast-paced. I guarantee you that. The faster you go, the more you can get done, the more you can put on tape for the coaches to review after that practice. Uh, the more intense you are, the more, uh, the, the quicker you're going to get through all the all the different uh, uh, sessions that the coaches want to. I can't wait to hear about how the practice was because they just had a two-week layoff. But there's also the the excitement of being in the playoffs. I mean, that's got to this motivation has to be through the roof. So we'll make some phone calls today and see how that first practice went. And try to write something up this weekend. Uh, but I think it's going to be fast-paced and, and a lot of energy. This is an energetic group anyways, uh, but with the playoffs on the under, other end of these practices, you can you can expect them to take it to a whole different level. And like you'd expect for a 12-1 and team, whether publicly or privately, I don't think we hear very often of, of bad practices. You know, they could have a, you know, a misstep every now and then, but there yeah. are some times in recent years where – you would hear of just clunkers or, or oh, yeah. <laughs> Cartesian and, you know, even dating back to the previous two, three coaches would come out and say, this was not a good one. I don't anticipate that's going to be the case for this practice, but I do wonder what rust that they have to, to shake off and start to get ready. Uh, it's not just the players returning to practice. It's the coaches as well. Uh, what are some of the things that they're trying to do as they're balancing this entire portal, recruiting, signing day, prep schedule? Yeah. What does the process look like for them as they're going through these 13 practices? Well, man, you know, they've had they're having, you know, 15, 16 hour days right now. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're planning. They're making their plans for practice through schemes. You know what they what they want to get accomplished from practice to practice, week to week. At the same time, they're having to evaluate players in the portal that they might want to want might want to go after, and then they've still they're making in home visits with uh, with some of their commits. They're trying to get the high school guys uh, sign in across the finish line. You know, I don't envy these guys in December. Uh, it's it's just a it's a massive massive workload. 
Um, but you know, they sign up for it and, you know, to the, to the victors go the spoils. If they, if they get some wins in the next, uh, next two games, you know, it'll all be worth it for sure. And then everything else will become easier. Recruiting will become a lot easier too. Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I've read some arguments that this is one of the weird times in a sport that has free agency and, and talent acquisition, you know, talent bring up going on at the same time. There's really no other sport that has that. And that's one of the challenges of college football. Do you know if there's any sort of solution to this or is this something that, hey, this is what you asked for. This is what you're going to get. And you got to grin and bear it for the time being. I don't know how they I don't know how they can the, they can make any changes. These guys have to get in, in uh, school for the next semester. You know, that's they're, they're dealing with the, t- the timing of the semester as much as anything. So, you know, uh, maybe just quit making them go to school. I mean, it's kind of a charade for some of them anyway. So I, I say that tongue in cheek, but I don't know what they're going to do. It's it's very difficult. You've got the national championship at, in January, but then they have to, st- you know, they have to be on their new campus or return to campus just a couple weeks after that. I don't know how you can, you have to give them enough time to make informed decisions uh, for what, for A, whether or not they want to leave the school and B, to find their next one. Uh, you know, I don't trust the NCAA to navigate it very well. Uh, I think it's just, uh, you know, one of the pitfalls of, of the of the job. There's no, there's no perfect solutions for sure. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I've been asked that a lot. I've been thinking about it a, a little bit of late, and I don't know what the solution is. Who knows what it'll be? But yeah, like you said, it, it's time for them to have to buckle up. And like you mentioned on Inside Texas, fifteen-hour days are the norm. Anything else that you think needs to be touched on, whether it be a certain position unit as as Texas gears up for the Sugar Bowl, and like we said, they're in Austin for about I think eleven to twelve days. They get to New Orleans on the 27th and they have a handful of open practices that tech are open to the media practices that inside Texas will be there for any other position groups that you want to touch on before we get going into what the coaches are also doing this weekend, hosting prospects. I mean, I, everybody's worried about the secondary. I think the offensive line has a good chance to set the tone. If, they, if Texas runs the ball, uh, you know, Quinn is going to find his receivers. They'll become two dimensional. I, I just think that Texas is going to be ultimately too much. And I'm looking forward to really, diving in and learning everything I can about Washington over the next couple of days. But, um, you know, right now going into going into the, the middle part of December, I feel good about the matchup. I, you know, I think uh, I think the line shows that Texas is the favorite. I think that's the way it should be, too. It's going to be a lot of fun talking about these 2023 Longhorns in the 2024 New Year's Six. But the 2024 Longhorns are going to be a topic this weekend as well as Texas is hosting a number or hosting or recruiting a number of very important portal prospects. Uh, one of them is Matthew Golden, a Houston wide receiver who scored two touchdowns on the Longhorns this past year. And you view him as kind of an Xavier worthy uh, analog. I already have put in a prediction for the Longhorns to land Golden uh, during this portal cycle. If they were to do that, do you think it, what, what other than being an Xavier worthy kind of replacement, what does that help the rest of that wide receiver core do uh, for the next season? Yeah. I don't know if he's an analog so much as he is a good replacement for him. They're, they're a little bit different. I think, uh, you know, both of them are electric. I don't know if anybody's as fast with the ball in his hands as Xavier worthy, but, but golden can get after it too. I just think he's going to give them a lot more, you know, needed experience, needed explosiveness. They have to have that deep threat in the offense. We've saw that we've seen how that's, gone both ways when Sark doesn't have it the offense sputters when he does have it the offense is nearly unstoppable I think Golden is an elite elite talent for this offense and I think he's going to blow up if, if they can get him it's a huge get I think there's a good chance that that can move uh, John Tay Cook inside where his nuanced route running ability to get open 
Uh, and also his big playability, I think, is something that, you know, Sark kind of missed with Whittington. That didn't, necess- didn't necessarily fit the entire the, the exact bill that Sark was looking for as a deep play threat from the uh, from the slot. I think John Tay Cook will have it. And so now, now you just kind of have to figure out what's going to happen in the boundary receiver. You know, Ryan Wingo is going to get a good look there. Are they going to be able to find a second one? But if they get Matthew Golden, man, there's not going to be much of a drop off. And especially, you know, Quinn is going to only improve. That's going to be a very dangerous passing attack. Golden is an elite talent. Don't look at his uh, statistics. The drop off this past year was due to the drop off at quarterback play for U of H going from Clayton Toon to Donovan Smith. Uh, Golden's an animal. Uh, if they can get him, you should celebrate. I really like what you're mentioning about Golden, obviously, but but Jonte Cook. Because when you look at Jordan Whittington, and I think this is something you've brought up often, he's reliable, uh, he's going to catch the ball, he's going to make some good moves in space, but he's not going to take the top off of defense. Right. His best asset, at least as, in, as a Longhorn wide receiver, is probably his tenacious blocking and his yeah. tenacious effort on some of the screens and RPOs. And I think if you have Jonte Cook, you may see a drop, uh, a drop in some of that blocking, but you're going to have still that playmaking ability that includes some over-the-top aspects that yeah. Whittington just hasn't done very often over the course of his last two years, especially in the Sarkeesian offense. And I like what you said about Wingo, too. I think he, I think people may be underrating just how much of a physical uh, – how much physical ability that he has with his size and speed right. kind of tailor-made for that boundary to where, yeah, you'd like to find an A.D. Mitchell replacement – He's tough to replace in, the, in, in just to start off with, but Ryan Wingo could do a lot of things in that boundary receiver role that would help out a lot. The other thing, uh, big portal prospect that Texas is tracking, at least has been for a while, is Andrew Makuba, uh, mm-hmm. originally from Austin LBJ High School, helped them have one of their best seasons uh, in a long time over in Austin. Uh, he went to Clemson, started there in 2021, played there in 2022 and 2023, and he seems to have a tailor-made fit on the Texas defense at star replacing Jade Barron. How how do you see that one going, and is he exactly that? He seems to maybe have a different profile for the position, but that's a position he's going to end up at most likely at Texas if he were to choose Texas. Yeah, you know, before the portal got going, I wrote an article that just kind of like lay out what, what to expect throughout it. And, and a lot of times they're going to be familiar names that they come up. And Andrew Makuba has been someone that, that Longhorn fans have wanted going back to high school. And then certainly after his very good uh, freshman uh, freshman season. Also, Matthew Golden was a, was a familiar name as well. So <clears throat> that's definitely played out with these familiar names uh, come back, circle back around. Makuba is, yeah, you're right. They don't want, they're trying to minimize the, the, the pain of losing Jade Barron, one of the best players on the team. And one way to do that is with experience. Now, I'm not certain where he's going to end up for for sure. Like he could play safety. They've got two two safety spots that he could potentially play, and then also star nickel, uh, which obviously would help uh, replacing Jade Barron. But you're going to have Jalen Gilbo there uh, competing. You got Austin Jordan there competing as well. Uh, so it's not like he's just going to be handed a spot. Now it's all like in all likelihood he's going to win one. It's just a matter of where. Uh, but yeah, he's a mentally mature player. He's a physically mature player. Uh, he's got some athleticism, maybe not the pure man coverage skills that uh, that Jade Barron has, but but he's not he's not poor in that regard. Certainly, he's pretty good. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's a big get. They've got a holes to fill in the secondary, and and that would go a long way. His versatility, you know, they can they can kind of mix and match him with different personnel groupings and see what's best for uh, for him and the entire defense. And this is just another example. Golden is too of don't burn relationships these days, unless you just absolutely have to, and there's no reason to keep the relationship. And Golden and McCuber are definitely not two of those guys. You never know when somebody's going to enter the portal. You never know who could want to move closer to home or who could want to leave a situation. And Golden and McCuber are, are two instances where 
even if you weren't recruiting them hard, but but continuing to recruit them throughout the process and maintain a decent base relationship, no matter what happens, is always advisable just because you may have to recruit them again. And this seems like another case. But there is a little bit different case where that doesn't seem as applicable in uh, Tyler Barron, uh, an edge recruit. Texas is already after Trey Moore from UTSA, but Tyler Barron is another name that's popped up on the radar in recent weeks. What's the latest on him, uh, the the former Vol looking for a new home? Yeah, on threes, Chad Simmons reported that he'll be at Texas for a one-day official visit tomorrow. Uh, also in the hunt is Alabama, Georgia, and Ole Miss. So that tells you a couple of things. This is going to be a difficult one to win, but also you're targeting the right type of player. You know, he's got he had 10, 10 tackles for loss last year, six sacks. He looks like a million bucks on the hoof, 6'5", 250. Uh, certainly could play Jack, probably could play Buck, uh, either one of the edge outside linebackers uh, for Texas. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're just looking They, you know, they'll never turn down a pass rusher. We, you know, we say that every year. Uh, Texas actually has some good pass rushers going into next season, but they're still going to kick tires and figure out the best ways they can mix and match their their uh, their personnel. I don't know as much about uh, Barron being a Tennessee guy, uh, both out of high school and in college, but um, you know, visiting tomorrow or could you know could change the calculus. We're going to learn a lot about him through our sources tomorrow. Kind of odd to see a guy from a Knoxville high school and go to Tennessee, end up in the portal, and then think yeah. about Alabama and think about Georgia. Sure, he's that, that's, uh, that's weird. That's that's weird. You would think that Tennessee wouldn't let a guy like that that leave that, that has a market such as Alabama and, and uh, Georgia. Uh, so I, there's there, maybe there's some more to this story that we need to investigate. Um, yeah, we'll be digging on him tomorrow for sure. But definitely another name that's in the portal, and of course the portal window lasts a long time. It's going to go, I think, all the way through early January, and then of course there's another one in the spring. And Texas is going to prove to be, I think, like what you always say. They're very patient because they can be patient. And they're not looking to build a roster through the portal, but to add to their roster through the portal. Exactly. So yeah, we're going to get into they're going to complement their uh, their remaining needs. You know, it's not even a need; it's it's almost a luxury. Um, you know, the, the, Sarkeesian has put this put himself in a position where he can be selective, uh, while other teams are <laughs> are looking for starters and depth. Texas is looking for uh, complementary parts. The complimentary parts are to those recruiting classes, and we'll talk about this upcoming recruiting class. Before that, got to mention Brent at the Cooper Laird Insurance Agency. 24 years of insuring contractors in the state of Texas, whether you're a plumber, a roofer, an electrician from any corner of the state, South Texas, North Texas, wherever you think West Texas begins, Cooper Laird can help you out. Call, or excuse me, Brent at Cooper Laird can help you out. Call him at 979 877-5330, 877-5330, Brent of the Cooper Laird Insurance Agency. And now it's time to talk about those recruiting classes. This is the last big official visit weekend before the dead period starts, before National Signing Day begins on the, the two-day window begins on Wednesday the 20th. And the Longhorns are hosting not only some, some flip candidates, but a number of other committed candidates that they have in the class to kind of help those guys maybe get across the line. But the two main ones that we have and are tracking right now are Xavier Filsimi and Ty Anthony Smith. And Filsimi is a defensive back from McKinney, five-star in the on-three industry ranking, has been committed to Florida for a while, has family connections to Florida, but it looks like the, the tide is starting to turn burnt orange in this commitment. Uh, He's about to take an official visit to Texas. There are predictions in for him to make a flip, even from the Florida side. 
Eric, what are you hearing on Phil Simi and what type of player does he bring? To, what type of player would Texas be adding to its 2024 class? Yeah, I put in a prediction for him um, on Saturday, I think it was. And, you know, it's the, the, the Texas side is confident. I think the Texas side has been confident for a while. Uh, I think Texas is, you know, probably took the lead weeks ago as opposed to in, in, in recent days. Um, you know, what would they get? They get all around safety. You know, he can play either spot. He can cover. He can play. He can play downhill in the alley. There, he doesn't really have a weakness in his game. He's got a lot more to learn. And, you know, he's got a lot more technique to refine. He's going to have to, you know, you know, learn the playbook. And, and you know, everybody's wondering, was he going to be able to start? I got asked this morning, can he be the uh, uh, Anthony Hill uh, version at safety? I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say that. Uh, but he's got all the talent in the world. He's an early enrollee, so he's going to get a head start. But, you know, I think uh, I think the struggles that Texas had at safety earlier in the season really motivated the staff to say, hey, you know what? We need to go get another high level high school safety. And that's when they went full bore on him. And uh, it's going to pay off. It, you know, at least I think so. I've got, I've got a, a prediction in for him. Put one in for Makuba as well uh, a week or two ago. Uh, so defensive back recruiting is is looking up. They just got to close the deal. One of the interesting things that you, you have to think about in recruiting is that not only are you trying to bolster your roster, but when you look at the SEC and then you especially look at Texas 2024 schedule, which includes the Florida Gators, Oof. you're taking away a very talented player from a team that at this point looks like it really needs it. Uh, that Billy Napier 2024 class is highly rated, but they are working double time to try and keep guys committed to keep it highly rated and they'll need it. Uh, if Phil Simi does make the move, you're adding somebody to your own roster who Florida, you probably would have seen on Campbell Williams field next year. And that also play, it, it plays a part with this next recruit, Ty Anthony Smith, a Jasper linebacker who's been committed to Texas A&M since June. Texas was always seemingly kind of a part of his recruitment, uh, but there were, it seemed like there were other teams that may have traded the lead up to his commitment up in June. Um, never really made an official visit to Texas, obviously, because he's taking one this weekend. Uh, what does Texas going after its one linebacker or a single linebacker in this 2024 class mean for this recruitment and this recruitment in general with Ty Anthony Smith? Yeah, well, it turned out being a good thing as we, we uh, kind of opined at the time that he didn't make that official visit to Texas in June. So, you know, they had that in their back pocket for uh, for December. Uh, the feeling has always been if they could get them on campus, they're going to flip them. That, that goes back a long time. Uh, they've they've remained confident. A lot of public sentiment, a lot of reporting out there saying this this one was done for AM. Uh, and and AM did have some some favorable uh, tailwinds. There's a lot of Aggie support in Jasper, to put it mildly. Uh, but, you know, Ty Anthony's always been called different. And, and they, they, you know, my sources use that as a, as, as, as a positive, you know, that he fits in at Texas. He's not just a, a small town kid looking to go to a smaller town. Uh, school college station of course isn't, isn't a small town necessarily but it's it's not nearly the environment that texas is uh, but he's always been viewed as a texas uh, sort of player a good fit for the school and the program and uh, communication has always been pretty strong you know, I, I must admit there are times i felt like he was probably going to end up at AM, and uh, but sources have had, had, uh, held fast and, and believed in their chances and you know even with jeff choate taking the nevada job he put them in a, he put texas in a good spot uh, sold them in a favorable light and he laid the groundwork for Texas to, to go and get this flip. Now, we don't know for 100% sure that he's going to get on campus, right? I mean, we know he's supposed to be on campus. But until he's on campus and I get a confirmation text saying he's on campus, you know, I'm going to be a little bit on edge. Because, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of AM sentiment uh, in the town he's from. It's interesting that you mentioned that even without Jeff Choate being a part of this recruitment, or at least at this juncture, a big part of this recruitment at this juncture, 
that Ty Anthony is still interested because kind of like with the Florida situation, we've seen this flipped where there's stability at the other schools. There's coaches that they know at the other schools. There's school profiles that they're familiar with. And Texas sometimes hadn't had that. They've had to flip coaches. They've had to change personnel and roles and stuff like that. But now Texas has a stability to where Ty Anthony knows who his defensive coaches and scheme is going to be. He doesn't know that at Texas A&M right now. I don't think Mike Elko's made the rest of the the defensive staff hires that he's needed to. DJ Durkin, his status is still up in the air, the linebackers coach. So stability is benefiting Texas at this point. And like you said, it just matters uh, if he makes it onto campus this weekend like he's scheduled to. So, um, Eric, anything else before we get out of here on this edition of Inside the Program? No, man, I'm just looking forward to hearing about practice and uh, hearing that Ty Anthony did, in fact, get on campus. We're going to keep checking that, checking the phones, uh, writing updates uh, and, and look, looking forward to next week. You know, we're going to have some live streams. It's uh, man, it's it's full go. This is, you know, for 10 years, we wish we would have stuff like this to write about, Joe. And, and uh, you know, we're hitting that we're hitting our stride where, you know, we've got recruiting, you got portal uh, playoffs. It's uh, it's kind of a dream come true from a content standpoint. I remember first year I was on this beat was 2016. We all know how that went. So it's a it's a far. Well, hey, the 2016 recruiting class was a blast, though. Speaking of Aggie implosions, that's when they lost Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray within a span of like 48 hours. So uh, that was a lot of fun. That yeah, it hasn't all been bad. Hadn't all been bad, but the on field and off field coming together at this time. There's never been anything like it. Great exactly. time to like and subscribe to this channel so you catch up with all the great Inside Texas content. And head to Inside Texas, where we have a signing day sale going on right now to get the best in Texas Longhorns coverage at a discounted price. You can even get $1. You can get one month of access for $1. Eric, thank you so much for Inside Texas. I'm Joe Cook. We will see you next time on Inside the Program.